Welcome to Boxes and Lines, a different kind of finance podcast from a different kind of stock exchange. Featuring IEX founder Ronan Ryan and Chief Market Policy Officer John Ramsey. Now here to give you the straight talk on how the markets really work. It's Ronan and JR. Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. I sound like that boxing guy here, but we have a very, very, very special guest, Eric Stockland. Welcome, Eric Stockland, back to Boxes and Lines. God love you. This is his third time on. Did you know that? He's our May first guest to do one, two, three. to meet you. <laughs> it is three times. I had no friggin' idea, yeah. but I remember the first thing. You remember the first one? Yeah. We were, this is early on in the podcast days, and we did this thing from this friggin' uh, sweat box pod that we created for this purpose. And then, of course, we stopped doing it during COVID because it wasn't exactly a, uh, like, COVID-friendly thing to do. And it was, that thing was fucking crazy. I mean, yeah, it was At one point, so Eric hot. wrote in the condensation, help <laughs> he me backwards. Help, help me. <laughs> to get <laughs> rescued. Yeah, you remember but that. But Eric is a former client, mm-hmm. now former employee and current client. He, Riddle he, me that, John he, Ramsey. Riddle <laughs> me you fucking been, that. You have done a lot. Uh, in the industry from very, you've been on all sides. You've looked at life from <laughs> all sides now. Uh, I, is that a nice way of saying I'm getting old? Uh, I guess so. This is the first time he's saying it, anybody. I'll, I'll fucking I, edit that out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Well, well welcome, Eric. No, yeah. Eric, we, we appreciate it. Are Eric. you going to give our guest a chance to actually say something? Introduce himself? You're the one singing, Eric. Okay. Introduce yourself. Uh, Eric Stockland. I'm at BMO for the last year and a half. Uh, IEX before that, and uh, Getco and Archipelago before that. So thanks for having me on. I appreciate the chance to uh, to get together again uh, after about a, about a year and a half. So this is going to be great. Let's let's see if you appreciate it 30 minutes from now. But yeah, no, seriously, <laughs> thank thank thanks for joining. Eric uh, was pretty bashful in his intro. He has an amazing background in market structure, and he's set in many different seats. And he sat in a seat in this uh, particular firm for close to five years as our chief strategy officer and former HFT. Go, John. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. did. He did indeed. And he um, he provided a lot of intellectual firepower and uh, fun and humor. And uh, you're on mute. Anyway, so <laughs> let's let's let's. <laughs> hey, that one never gets old. Twenty four months in, I still make him look. I still make him stare. <laughs> All right, let's let's hit you with the first question, Eric. Uh, obviously, you're well versed on market structure and speed, but from your experience at all these multiple places, uh, how do you see speed advantage? You know, they've evolved over time, but how do they impact investors? Yeah, I think um, speed is speed's a relative game. So I think the you know, in the people who sell appliances or who sell technology or cross connects will talk to you about the marginal amounts of, of speed that they provide. But really what matters is sort of as a participant, your rank order of speed relative to other participants. Um, so it's about being faster than the next guy or, or slower than the next person. When I left prop trading in 2015, so this is a seven-year-old data point, uh, we could generate orders wire to wire. So the market data coming in from an exchange to when the order would leave back to the exchange in, in 1.7 microseconds. So the, the game is uh, intense and it's really hard to play. And for most agency broker dealers, um, you just sort of abstain from it because we we can't be on the same uh, network infrastructure. You can't run an agency broker dealer on an FPGA card. So in a sense, the, the speed game 
um, is just one that, that at least for, for BMO, we tend to sidestep. Um, and there's, there's a ton of great alternatives to it. So you don't have to play the, the absolute lowest latency uh, game. You want to be competent. You want to be proficient. You want to have reliable, scalable systems. But uh, sort of a false pretense that that agency brokers compete with the fastest people in the market. And so I think the, the speed can be, you know, from, for a lot of investors and the agents who represent them kind of sidestepped. Um, maybe we'll talk more about that. And I guess part of the point here, too, is that agency brokers find it certainly uh, not um, profitable to compete in the business. But I assume even market makers, um, this sort of race to zero or effort to kind of like constantly shave microseconds off is also uh, can seem like a a losing game. And so it it seems part of that process also results in this increasing concentration uh, to a fewer number of players who are really able to compete. So it's 100% right. To, to be a prolific market maker, you have to be able to avoid your peers, uh, which is sort of ironic because those aren't the people uh, you know, that your, your bona fide market maker is trying to provide liquidity to. So what, what you've seen in, the, in Canada and a little bit in the U.S. is there are market makers who are behind um, some of these mechanisms to, to limit adverse selection. So you all have done it with with DPEG delimit, Intelligent Cross is doing it with Aspen uh, and with their midpoint product in Canada. You have TMX with Alpha and asymmetric speed bump markets. Uh, Equitas Neo, which is now a SIBO company, uh, has asymmetric speed bumps, and and you know, all these different venues are solving the problem, not just for the agency broker dealer, but for the market maker who wants to provide liquidity uh, for for us when we choose to cross the spread, but to not have to pay to compete in the arms race and to, to pay the sort of tax when you get adversely selected right before a tick happens. So um, it's not an agency broker dealer problem. It's not a market maker problem. It's just sort of this, the game has evolved to such an expensive, costly state that uh, playing it is, is I think a negative ROI for, for the industry, whether it's liquidity that market makers can provide, the price at which they can provide it, uh, the impact that agents have. And so the, the market, is evolving and it's giving us a, a ton of choice on on where to post, where to take. And I say us in the, the agency construct, but I'm you know still friends with a lot of folks in the prop space and you know who all the actors are. Uh, a lot of them are, are big supporters of these same initiatives that I think you know five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, they were billed as you know anti-HFT, but they're really just about nobody wants to get picked off, you know, while the stock is in motion and, and things are in, in chaos. So sort of neat to see. Um, you know, latency matters, and we're not, you know, Luddites trying to go back to people screaming stock prices at each other. Uh, but at the same time, you know, being microseconds, single-digit microseconds slower than somebody else probably shouldn't be the difference between a winning and a losing trading strategy. Yeah, no, you, you're totally right. So it's kind of, it's it's funny that you say, like, your data point is seven years old, so one would assume that they're even faster now wire to wire. But just to give people who are not in the industry an idea, Eric was talking about less than two microseconds. One microsecond is one millionth of a second. So this is the level of speed that we're talking about. And and even quite recently, I've talked to some you know high-speed HFT market maker, however you want to coin them, about even equidistant cables within data centers so that when they're connecting to a stock exchange within the same building, they want equal lengths of cable. And you know all else being equal, they don't want to lose out on a strategy because someone has a slightly shorter cable. And just to give people an idea, that, that's down to nanoseconds, which are billions of a second. So, 
you know, I'll use an, uh, an, an Eric Stockland quote when he say, the sole determinant of success is speed. That's not necessarily what these guys want to do either. And then Luddites, uh, it's, it's hardly, uh, I don't even know if it's Ludditism is a word, but when you think of no, agency brokers, yeah, thanks, thanks, John. Yeah. I'll, I'll let shut the fuck up, <laughs> let that out. Um, <laughs> L- Ludditism, out. as John Ramsey would say, Ludditism, uh, <laughs> Eric represents an agency broker. Uh, we're not trading here in minutes. Yeah, all of our systems are down to milliseconds and microseconds already anyway. So I, I guess you know, I'm taking after John and asking a really long-winded question. But um, <laughs> I'm just waiting you, for you to land you, that you, plane. You complete me, JR. Here we go. Here's, here's the landing. Okay. How do brokers representing investors try to reduce or combat those kinds of advantages, Eric? <laughs> I wrote that for him. Could you tell <laughs> him he's reading it? Yeah, right, right. So, I mean, I, I think it's, it's one of those where you just don't even want to play the game. If, if you don't have edge in competing and, you know, whether it's sub 10 mics or it's sub two mics, um, you just don't don't play the game because you don't have edge at it. And there are so many alternatives and speaking in a sort of a passive construct um, where you can post passively, get high quality executions um, and not have to compete uh, uh, in, the, in this ultra low latency space. And, and to be fair, I'm not there's no vilifying the the folks who compete in it's a brutal business. They have to compete in this dimension. Um, I don't think they love it. I think if you talk to some leading executives at, at prop trading firms, I think they'd all happily let go of wireless networks. If everybody would, would disarm, right. They would save everybody a ton of money. Um, but yet they're, they're forced to, it's like a you know prisoner's dilemma. Economists One, call that the, uh, the, the dilemma of the commons or whatever that, whatever that, uh, phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, you, if one does it, ultimate shit. <laughs> It's not. Yeah. It's it's a real thing. Okay. Please. Let Sorry. Him, let, let our guest let go. Eric let finish. our guest. You're so rude. Please, Eric. Please. <laughs> look. I, all I'm trying to say is uh, you got to look at the the landscape. Understand where you have edge. Understand where you don't. And go play where you're strong. And and don't get involved in games that you're you're set up to lose. Right. So, I think there we're fortunate in in this you know moment in kind of market structure time to have so many viable alternatives. We're not short on venues. We're not short on. Uh, uh, people who want to compete for the business on fill quality. And then when it comes time to trade in the latency-sensitive venues, you do it as a taker, not as a maker, uh, where you don't suffer those same kind of uh, disadvantages due to just pure latency. Right. But for somebody in your position, clearly you need to be um, exercise a lot of care and scrutiny in figuring out if you're not going to play that game, then how you provide optimal execution for people without uh, defending yourself against um, the, the problems that come from that. So interested to hear you talk a little bit. Since you obviously working for an agency broker now, you have the uh, unique ability and expertise to understand um, how you can defend against some of those things. And uh, part of that, I gather, is experimenting with different ways of uh, maximizing the outcome for your clients. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, th- I think in the defense side, if if one's chasing you know, sort of executions in exotic venues that don't have a lot of market share, you're going to see it in like spread crossing rates. You'll see it in uh, like a duration adjusted fill rate. You might see it in a in a benchmark uh, performance space. So you, we might hypothesize about you know posting where we think we have edge, avoiding these latency games. But but then you have to prove it. And that's I think what you're asking is um, how do you? There's all these different variables, and it's hard to say 
uh, what variables carry weight in, in sort of what proportion and mix. So the, the only thing you can do is, is to run an AB test or an ABC test um, and to be as rigorous and empirical as you can in, in measuring these effects. And, and that's really what we what we do. I don't think we're unique in that capacity. And a lot of brokers are, are constantly testing. The environment's just too complicated. Uh, it's non-stationary. Uh, I don't think we can predict with, with high enough accuracy what might happen. So you have to run tests to validate these hypotheses, to learn, uh, to grow and, and move your product forward. And I would imagine in running those tests, one of your conclusions is that IEX is one of the very best venues to, um, to provide the best <laughs> fills for most of your clients. This is the only reason we really had you on, Eric, uh, you know, I, yeah, to be yeah. clear. And I'll take again. a pass. <laughs> no, well, I, a question came up when you were talking about um, uh, brokers and experimentation and all brokers experimenting. Um, and this is not meant at any one broker in particular, but uh, it's been kind of frustrating over the years, both for the broker and both for us when we talk to them, because many times they cannot experiment with client flow. I mean, h- how do you get around doing that type of experimentation? Do you, do, you, do you go and consult with clients and say, this is, this is my thought, would you be interested in doing this? Um, do you allocate part of your flow to test? Mm-hmm. So, so the first thing is, if a client says, don't experiment on my flow, you absolutely cannot experiment on their flow. Um, the, so, so you got to exclude those folks who expressly say, don't do it. Um, and then I say that to my a, doctor. <laughs> don't experiment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't mess with my please. flow. They, yeah, all right. Yeah. Go, uh, please, go ahead, Eric. What you're left with is kind of a, a portfolio of flows. So you've got high-touch flows. You have electronic flows. You have some clients who are low urgency cash flow type trades and you got to pick the spot that's best for your, for your test. If you're going to test something that's a little bit more radical, it calls for a lot more caution. So you usually start out internally with a, a high touch trader. Uh, maybe you want to experiment on their flows where they're, they're watching it really closely. If some of the things you want to experiment with are not very disruptive, you, know, you might collaborate with a client on, on testing it out uh, on a config of theirs first and then promoting it to a, a larger scale test. But whenever you start a test, you have to make sure um, nothing's going sort of horribly wrong. You, you don't start a test and then come back in three months and look at the results. You start a test, you start at a very, very small rate of trading, you pick the flows that are candidates for it, you look at it and you make sure things are happening about as you would expect them. Um, that doesn't mean you look at a rival price performance on your first dozen VWAP orders, uh, but it does mean you, you look at, at the algo, where it's routing, what you're doing, is it following the behavior you expect and has anything gone off the rails? Usually the answer to that is no, but you've done your due diligence. There's kind of a governance aspect to it uh, before you begin to, to ramp and, and scale. Long term, if we're going to improve performance, you have to experiment. You have to evolve your product. Um, and the, the risk in any experimentation is, is you impair performance and you lose business. But if you also never experiment, your performance will decay over time and you'll lose business. Yeah, so exactly. You have to take calculated risk in the space uh, to, to keep up and to, to push the competition. So, so that makes sense. You're, you're obviously not metricing the first few trades and, and basing it on that. But then how, how do you overall measure the success of a particular like AB or an ABC? Like how long does that take? What goes yeah. into that? So measurement depends on the algo and the objective. But broadly speaking, for most configs, performance versus arrival or implementation shortfall is, is the number one metric, right? What was the stock before we started messing around in it? And what happened to the stock, you know, while we were attempting to trade it? And so arrival prices is, is really a terrific metric. Um, it's also a very noisy metric. The, the longer the duration, the higher the variance. 
Um, so you need some statistical measures to try and control for the noise uh, around arrival price performance. And you can marry that with a bunch of other uh, benchmarks that are also useful in trying to, to get to the truth. So I would add as a, as a perfect complement to arrival price performance is reversion. So aside from an algo that runs to the close, if it's arrival price, POV, liquidity seek, you know, the corollary to arrivals, well, what happened to the stock when I got done trading in it? Did did it come back in the in the way I was trading? Uh, did momentum continue? So you have, you have arrival, you have reversion, you have data uh, around markouts. So how did each you know venue perform? Uh, and then you know, we have a couple uh, Mar sort of markout meaning just what happens to the price a certain uh, number of milliseconds or whatever after. I'm saying this for Ronan's uh, benefit, just because. Uh, yeah, it's it's a venue stuff. analysis technique yeah. of just saying. Thanks. I was you trying know, to figure out who Mark was. <laughs> uh, you have, you have markouts, and then um, you know there's a couple proprietary things that we do to try and decompose <laughs> the average. I, I was late on the button. I was late yeah, on the button, yeah, yeah, Eric. I apologize know, on behalf of don't, John. But don't do the button unless you're going to be on time. Please go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess in, in a nutshell, you yeah, you run me? the test, arrival, reversion, uh, uh, markouts. You have some smart statistical measures to control for, you know, like standard error, um, notionally weighting your metrics. Uh, uh, and then I think you know you, you start. You need to a shit ton of orders too, right? Like it's it's it, in, in the end, all those metrics that you're looking at, it, it comes out in the wash. By having a lot of data. That's right. So there's there's high variance for technical for anyone, but but if you add enough data to it, you you drop the noise out of the metric uh, for the most part. Yeah. No question. Um, there is uh, you're awfully good at uh, being in a position to navigate these things um, on behalf of your clients. Part of the reason you have to do that is because we have this incredibly complicated. Um, market structure, uh, which is built up over a long period of time. And um, as I'm sure you're aware, there are a lot of debates um, that are going on now about uh, whether whether it's the optimal structure, whether there are um, things that we should do to improve it. Um, a lot of questions around um, inducements, routing inducements, um, in particular, questions about the kind of optimal tick size. Do you have any general thoughts about those, about uh, kind of just based on your experience, um, what kind of reform you think would be good and where you would prioritize? Yeah. I mean, the, the routing inducements, I think you mean like pricing tiers or do you mean the- uh, Yeah. Mean I mean, well, you know, the, of course, on the retail side, there's a lot of discussion about payment for order flow and um, that sort of thing. On the exchange side, uh, re uh, rebates, which is a uh, concern, and and in particular tiers, uh, rebate tiers, uh, which are um, tend to be heavily skewed in the favor of uh, relatively few firms. So those are those are two. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the rebate battle is you know we fought it together uh, when I was at IEX. It, it's been sort of adjudicated, and uh, it's the law of the land. So like it or or hate it, it, it just is what it is. Um, however, I think when it comes to the the tiering, uh, it, it's a little mysterious. I think a couple simple uh, obvious reforms there could could make a great deal of difference. Like. In my opinion, I'm a simple guy. I think exchanges should have to tell you how many brokers qualify for a tier. And I don't think that you should be allowed to have a pricing tier if not more than you know five brokers can hit it. Uh, and that would help get uh, the, the amount of tiers down and this sort of you know, backroom brokering of, of customized uh, pricing deals, which is what a lot of these are. When you have to do you know, a certain amount of options business, a certain amount of liquidity adding, a certain amount of mid taking, you know, it's sort of the equivalent of, of hop on one foot, rub your belly and pat your head and, and you get a different price. 
And I just want to know how many people can do that. And I think we should disclose it. And if you're not willing to disclose it, then I'm getting kind of suspicious that, you know, it's really targeted for one person. So on the inducement side, I think that's simple. On the payment, you know, I'm going to sidestep the the retail debate. I think there's a lot of smart people involved in it. Uh, we've got the right eyes on it. We'll just see what happens with the particulars on, on payment uh, for order flow and, and retail execution. And you mentioned briefly on tick size. Uh, I think as an industry, we, we got saved a little bit by uh, Amazon, Google, Apple, Tesla splitting their stock. Um, so, the, but the tick sizes are are a bit of a mess. Uh, the the severity, the problem, uh, just got like a, a bit of a pressure release with with Amazon and and some of the other big tech giants splitting. We just need more because they're to because they had let their stock price get so so big that uh, there was you know, trading at a one cent. Uh, and it forces a lot of uh, sort of difficult choices when when spreads are incredibly wide, books are are very thin. Um, you know, the, the markets, and then a lot of people have written about this, but the market structure just sort of breaks down at the tails. So if you have a, you know, a $2 stock that has, uh, you know, a, a huge spread in basis points, and you have a, a $1,000 stock that has a huge spread in, in notional terms, both of those present uh, frictions for for market structure for participants and you know we have this like currency based uh, tick size regime in the U.S. where everything is in is in pennies so it works great and whether it's you know forty dollars to two hundred dollars pick your goalposts but I think a lot of people would agree it doesn't work so good at, at you know under ten bucks and and over several hundred um, so you know if, if companies could keep their prices uh, their share prices in that range, wonderful. Um, if too many break out of that range, you know we we might have a problem we want to deal with. Uh, but as a as a sort of a purveyor of algorithms and technology, you just have to solve for it, right? It's the law of the land. Uh, we're not going to change it. So trading, you know, tight spread, widespread, normal spread names differently uh, should be good for performance. And and clients like those narratives of of not just belly aching about the problem, but how are you going to solve it? Yeah, and going back to the the uh, tiering issue for um, for a moment, and just to be clear, for our, probably our listeners realize at this point, IEX does not provide that kind of tiering uh, tiered pricing. We um, don't pay rebates um, at all because we don't like the um, we we think it creates complications that are um, not good for the market. But you know, we've heard concerns um, from people that are uh, concerned there are individual pricing paths that in effect, are negotiated with a single firm or uh, a couple of firms, um, which uh, which does seem to raise real questions. You know, the Securities Exchange Act, the law that the SEC administers, has this concept that exchange fees um, are supposed to be equitably allocated. Um, and it's that's never been clearly defined what it is that means. But it does seem to me, pardon me if I get on my soapbox a little bit here, that um, uh, you know, it's hard to say that fees are equitably allocated if they're designed um, only to be hit by uh, one or two firms. 100% right. You know, it's the end of the month. People want business. Uh, mills matter in, in the proprietary space. Mills matter when you're running a sponsored access business. Uh, mills don't matter in, in my business, but but they do matter in some. And, and yeah, pe- people negotiate for pricing tiers and flow is portable. Uh, that's why transparency and disclosure how many people are qualifying for this tier? Uh, and maybe we should get rid of tiers that five people aren't qualifying for. So you don't need a, a staff of three or four people to read, you know, I don't know if there's hundreds or if there's many hundreds of, of pricing tiers across the exchanges in the U.S. So question for you, Eric. I joined RBC late 2009 and we were rolling out new algos. 
And at the time, everybody said, oh, we don't want to be another Me Too offering. Every broker has like a subset of, of algorithms. Everyone has a VWAP. Everyone has a POV. Everyone has a liquidity seeker. You, you've worked, obviously, at exchanges twice, HFT, brokers twice. You've got a, a broad range of experience. How, how, do you, how do you go out and, you know, take a new subset of an algo and, and win buy-side business? And, and I'm not entrapping you here. The, the, the second part of the slung-winded question is, have the buy-side become more progressive to market structure over time, whereby... They can be told a story as to why they should be trading with a broker as opposed to trading with a broker because they have to. And I'm spent. <laughs> so I've, I've never met a, a buy side who's adding a broker, right? They're, they're always over-brokered. <laughs> uh, nobody's product is different. And I, I think what we're really selling is not a, a VWAP algorithm. The product is an algorithm, but the product's product is performance, it's people, it's process, it's collaboration, right? You're you're, you're trading on their behalf and you're constantly working with them to evolve, to hit the benchmarks that they're setting out for you, to respond to the feedback they're giving, whether it's how you're slicing volume into the auction, whether it's the reversion you're seeing, the impact that you're seeing. But the we're not selling a VWAP, right? You're, you're kind of selling an experience of, of let's work together, let's iterate, let's collaborate, let's listen to your needs, you tell me what's not working, I'll share with you, you know, sort of what we're up to on the roadmap. If we have features you don't want, we'll build them. You're, you're really selling uh, a relationship. And, and partnership sounds cliche, but but it, the best ones actually are. And you're in quarterly, you're pouring over data, uh, you're running A-B tests for clients, and they're not buying your algorithm, they're buying your, your people and your process and your performance. And uh, when it comes to you know the, those first you know elevator pitches or the you know the meeting where you know they've, you've got a room full of people and you've got 45 minutes to convince them that uh, what you're doing is is different and novel, you know I think that it just comes out in in the course of the conversation is is your edge market structure is your edge latency is your edge scheduling do you have pricing models do you have you know great signals for for when to take or when to make uh, and I think when you talk to somebody for 30 or 45 minutes you can find out is what it is they're describing, is it pass the, the smell test? And do they sound like practitioners? And uh, and then, you know, you get to this test phase and you get to the collaboration phase, but ultimately it's got to work. And if it doesn't work, you should fully expect to get kicked off. Uh, this is a performance-driven business. I hope that the the narratives, you know, kind of get us into the arena to, to fight. But if you, if you don't perform, you, you lose and, and you eventually, you know, wane and you're out of a job or out of a business. So if I can paraphrase what you said, it's basically ultimately about trust and you got to trust people. You can't trust an algorithm. Um, you have to be able to have some faith in the people that you're working with, obviously to prove to you that they know what you're doing. Yeah. And, and, and I think you can trust the algorithm once you understand what it is. Another cliche is this whole like notion of a black box, right? So, What's the algo doing? What's the schedule? How do you decide when to send day orders, where to send day orders, when to post at the near, when to post at the mid, when to take, when to accelerate, when to decelerate? And if you can explain that as a practitioner and not, you know, kind of off of a, a glossy one pager, uh, then people say like, hey, I, I, you know your product, you're helping me understand your product. And, and then eventually you, you do start to trust it, right? Like, I don't know how my car works. I just know every time I get in it and I turn the key, as long as I change the oil and put gas in the tank, I'm going from A to B. And I don't have to know how it works, but I, like in a sense, that's kind of 
like, but the first time somebody got in a car in the 1800s, they'd probably been scared out of their mind. Like, you know, what is this giant beast? Where am I going? But the only reason we're comfortable with it is, is repetitions, familiarity, kind of growing up with them as, as they evolve. And so maybe that's a, a little bit of a weak analogy, but people can trust the algorithm once they, they actually, trust it. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I thought it was pretty great. Good. <laughs> anyway, Eric, who is your favorite boss and why? Oh, well. And next up, John, you. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll, if Eric doesn't say me, one. I'll edit it out. Uh. If you don't say me, I'll fucking fire you. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to uh, next uh, yeah, ask yeah, you. Yeah, we're not going to ask you that. No, but there gonna, is a question. There is a question, yeah, and a question uh, we ask every guest, I'm even sure when they've been on three point, times. I think Eric must Jesus be really, Christ. really tired of You fucked this, this up. Question. Do you really want a pair of IEX socks? Yeah. Anyway, mm. what's your favorite Wall Street movie and why? <laughs> uh, Trading Spaces, just because it's it's so darn funny, and Eddie Murphy is uh, is classic. And, and I'll, actually, I'll give you a better answer, too. You know, I, I think we build this business up to be you know, there's like a superiority complex where the, we're the smartest, we're risk takers. Um, uh, you know, we've got the best statistics, you know, degrees, the best computer science degrees. What we do is, is I don't think it's all that complicated. And I think, you know, you look at, at your background, Ronan, or, or my background, none of us grew up with a, with a silver spoon. We didn't go to the most prestigious universities. Um, but if you work hard and, and, you know, you're loyal to your clients, you have high integrity, anybody can succeed in this business. And and again, maybe I'm pushing this this movie thing a little far, but I do like that, that like you put somebody in this role and you, you surround them with the right people and they learn how to talk to talk and walk the walk. A lot of people can be successful and you don't have to have a blue blood pedigree uh, to be wildly successful in this business. You well, I noticed that you. Awesome. I, I noticed so, that you excluded me. From yeah, that, no, because I, mean, I was, I I was about to say. I didn't spoon in my mouth. Yes, I mean, yes, I don't, did. I don't know your academic background, JR. No, so. yeah. Eric and I oh, okay, are yeah. Eddie Murphy, and you're Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> well, not, well, I know. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Or who are the old guys? Who are the old, who are the old like, rich silver spoon guys? I am not Jamie Curtis, but I noticed uh, from looking at your background, Eric, that you went to Truman State University. Did I get that right? That's Which right. is um, often called the Harvard of the Midwest, according to their website anyway. That's a, that is a horrible phrase, but um, uh, yeah, it was a good school. Is it like, but no name, Northeast Missouri. I remember when I was first applying for jobs in 2001, I applied at Goldman Sachs and I was too naive to realize I wasn't qualified for that job. And I finally got a hold of a recruiter on the phone and she said, where did you go to school? And I, with pride, was like Truman State University. And she said, I'm sorry, where? And I said, Truman State <laughs> University. And she kind of chuckled and said, I hate to break it to you, but you didn't go to the, the right school for this business. If, if you've got any other opportunities on your plate, like, you know, you should probably take them. And she was, she did me a favor. Um, uh, but I didn't know it, and that I didn't go to the right place, and you, you couldn't make it through the. Did you get her name in revenge as best served cold? <laughs> it's an Irish trait. We always come get you. Actually, I have a very important question now that you said Missouri. Why do some people call it Missouri? I don't know anybody who calls it Missouri. Well, a I lot of people do, I right? That's what people in Missouri call it. Don't yeah. they say Missouri? You don't hear that? People on TV all the time go Missouri. And I'm like, what uh, the fuck is wrong with you? There's yeah. an I at the end of that thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nope. Yeah. Or I Missouri guess, runs. I, I don't know how we got off on that tangent, but um, well, he said I don't Missouri. Know. That's where we went to college. You, Truman said, you don't even know where Truman is. At this point, You're Eric, now making you fun of his college. Socks? I'm sorry that he's making fun of your college. I'm not. Yeah. Where did you go to college, JR? <laughs> I went to the University yes. of Texas and the University of Michigan. Both of them so online, I, before I, I, online. Yeah, they were not online. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, All right. Nice. <laughs> Gotta crack myself up. Okay, we're going to send you a pair of socks, Eric. 
We'll love you and leave you. Thanks as always for being a great partner of the firm. We appreciate you being on. <laughs> Next time you're in New York, come by our office and enjoy some liquidity with John and I. Please come back. Come Pod. back and see us sometime. It was, it was great seeing you guys. Thanks for the chance to, to participate again. Uh, best of luck and we'll see you in New York soon. Boxes and lines over now. Over and out. Boxes and Lines is a podcast from IEX Exchange. It is hosted by Ronan Ryan and John Ramsey. Executive produced by Sarah Forster with support from Benstown. For more information and to hear more episodes, go to iexexchange.io slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Boxes and Lines. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only, and IEX Group Incorporated and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversation may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. Thank you.